For those of you who are listening on our podcast stream, I just want to give you a little heads up before we start into today's time of scripture and meditating on the word. As you may have noticed if you've been following our little church community here, we've been doing more with video content lately, particularly with our scripture and sermons that have been coming out on Sundays, or if I'm being honest, Mondays, because we're still getting the tech right. Uh, what that means is as we're doing more and more with that, we're going to be doing more visual uh, references and kind of jokes and things like that that are going to be harder to understand listening to this audio only. Now, I will do my best to make sure that things are as, as clearly communicated as possible uh, on the podcast as well as on the video, but there are going to be moments where, since we're prioritizing video, that you might hear something on the podcast that doesn't seem right, that it feels like something's missing, and that's okay. What's happening is there's a visual gag or a visual reference that didn't quite make the transition to audio. And for that, I do want to apologize. I know a few of you, uh, some of you out there, really do get this from the podcast. And I'm sorry that you're missing out on that, but I do want to encourage you to check with our, uh, our video channels on YouTube and on Facebook so that you can really get the full experience. In the meantime, this is still gonna come out to you on the podcast channel, but I do want to encourage you that if you hear something that feels like a bump in the road, don't worry about it. There's a reason for it. And feel free to check out our video channels when you get the chance. Now let's get into today's message. I invite you to the dance, to the dance with the Lord of the dance. God didn't call America to do what she's doing in the world now. Please dance. Hello, everybody, and welcome to today's time of scripture and uh, meditation on the word. As you may have noticed, I am still hanging out in John Oliver's void. And you know what? Like I said last week, it ain't just his. So if he wants to get uh, in a little bit of a conversation about who owns the rights to the void, he's welcome to get in touch with me and we can talk it out. But in the meantime, you know what? I'm here. I'm liking it here. It's nice and it's warm and comfy. And so I think we're going to stay put right where we are for a little while and see how things work out. But in the meantime, I had something specific I wanted to bring up with you guys today. I wanted to talk to you about something serious, something important. I want to talk to you about something that, in my humble opinion as a man of faith and principle and education, that we just absolutely cannot go another day without talking about in depth and at length. Sheep. Yep. I am going to be talking about sheep. You know, the, uh, the fuzzy, white, generally adorable little critters who make for great examples of group behavior and even greater sources of premium grade sweater material. All right, I'm sure that right now, a lot of you are thinking I am completely crazy, but I gotta tell you, I'm 100% serious. You see, the problem of sheep, 
first came to my attention when I was a much younger man, I'd say round about middle school or so. At the time, one of the adults in my life told me about their own childhood experiences with their abusive and frankly insane family that they had growing up. Now the environment in which they had been raised was crazy, traumatic, violent, painful even. But through a combination of love, kindness, the support of others, and an absurd amount of determination, they had managed to break that cycle of abuse and cruelty and make for themselves a decent life, complete with a loving family, a nice house, 2.5 adorable kids, you know, that whole American dream. But what stuck with me, what really stuck with me in this whole conversation was a joke that this person made, wherein they referred to themselves as the white sheep of their family. Now, this was meant to be funny, of course, and in no small part because this person was, just like me, so very white. But it was also meant to be funny because it took the whole idea of the black sheep of the group, the black sheep of the family, which is a phrase we often use to describe that one member of a group who goes off the rails into a wildly different life than everyone else, who breaks away from the group and kind of does their own thing in ways that are shocking in their difference and offensive to the gentle sensibilities of the group. It took this idea and kind of turned it on its head and it was a little funny. But the basic idea behind this little dad joke-esque comedic tool, whether you turn it on your head as uh, this adult did or whether you use it as it's intended, the idea is to establish, usually to unassuming kids, this very strong, built-in social idea that the world consists of two groups. The white sheep, who are part of the crowd and dutifully fit in, and the black sheep, who absolutely do not. Of course, as a kid, I, uh, I had this bad habit, you see, of uh, asking all sorts of wildly inappropriate questions, poking holes in all the stories, theories, and ideas that the adults kept trying to teach me. You can imagine this made me an absolute treat when it came to Sunday school. But when I was presented with this idea, boy, <laughs> I just had a lot of questions. I mean, aren't most sheep actually black or brown or at least some shade of gray? Wait, wait a minute, why are, why are the black sheep the bad guys here? What do they do other than having the wrong color wool? I mean, look, I like black sweaters as much as the next guy. What's the big deal? Well, I mean, if you're, if you're acquainted at all with Western culture in general and American culture in particular, you know that we have something of an investment in this idea of a large white group existing in perpetual opposition to a smaller black group that is, for some reason, outside the bounds of the socially acceptable othered, or in some way, some indistinct way, just generally wrong somehow. So when we talk about this idea, this inane little concept of, of white sheep versus black sheep in English, we're approaching it as a joke, but we're really approaching it as a simplified analogy of this 
whole in-group, out-group dynamic, where white equals good and black equals bad. Of course, you know, this doesn't necessarily mean anything. It's just a benign cultural perception. And it's not a subtle cultural archetype that presents any terrible real-world consequences or anything. But the real truth is, is that in whatever environment it manifests, this underlying idea of in-group, out-group dynamics, it pervades how we look at not just conveniently amusing anecdotes delivered by anonymous adults from my childhood, but how we look at a great many of our personal and cultural perceptions, often to the point where we can find ourselves looking at some other sheep-related or sheep-adjacent social constructs. And in looking at them, we can manage to miss the point so hard that we wind up understanding them as somehow saying the exact opposite of what they're really saying. So let's take uh, today's scripture reading, for example. It comes from Matthew 18, uh, 20, or sorry, Matthew 18, 12 through 24. And herein, we are hearing one of Jesus's many parables, where he's teaching us some key and important truths about life, the universe, and everything. Take a listen. Matthew 18, 12 through 14. What do you think? If a shepherd has a hundred sheep, and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine on the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray? And if he finds it, truly I tell you, he rejoices over it more than over the ninety-nine that never went astray. So it is not the will of your Father in heaven that one of these little ones should be lost. So what did you hear just now? What images did that passage bring to your mind? Now, for a good number of us, especially if we've grown up in the church and chosen to remain in the church, when we hear that passage, we start thinking about that one lost sheep in deeply, almost insultingly empathic terms. That poor, lonely sheep, you might be thinking. I mean, sure, he's made some terrible decisions and left the safety and security of the nice white group but isn't it wonderful that Jesus took the time to quick slip away and find that silly, errant sheep who really didn't know what he was doing and kindly and correctively bring it back to the loving embrace of his fluffy white brethren? Notice the immediate assumption of perspective here. Notice how quickly we jumped to assuming that the lost sheep was somehow the bad guy here. Notice how quickly judgment just oozed in to what we heard and understood from the scripture. Immediately, we made the assumption that, A, Jesus was a really great guy for bringing that sheep back into the flock with everyone else. And B, that sheep clearly had some issues going off on its own like that. Of course, if you're someone who has ever been in the position of that lost sheep in life, particularly in life with respect to the church, you might well have had a very different, much more visceral reaction to this passage. You might have the unenviable experience of having had this passage weaponized, turned against you as a means of judgment, even a justification for pushing you out of the community entirely. 
You might have been called a lost sheep, not as a sign of affection, not as a call to love from a people truly determined to love as Jesus loved, but as words of judgment, words of condemnation. The truth is that this passage has been used far more often than we would like to admit by churches against other people for a wide variety of reasons. If you've experienced this, it was probably because your church or whatever church group you were interacting with had decided that you had exhibited such terrible, unforgivable, bad behaviors like um, being a member of the LGBTQIA community or being a female and doing, well, basically anything other than dressing like a nun and locking yourself in your bedroom, praying constantly that you'd never, ever, 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 ever see anything that was even vaguely sexual. Ever. Or maybe it was just being black or brown or otherwise a little too ethnic for your church to feel entirely comfortable with you being around. Or maybe you were just like me and had a bad habit of asking really pointed and annoying questions all the time. Or maybe you uh, did the unthinkable and let slip once that you were thinking of voting for a Democrat. God knows that's a quick way to become a lost sheep in many of these would-be Christian communities. Now, I could, I could spend days taking apart each and every one of these absolutely ridiculous prejudices that churches and church folk have tended to have in the American Christian context. And given enough time, honestly, I probably will eventually, uh, if I'm being honest. But for today, in what little bit of time we have, I would like to take apart this passage in particular and look at some of the things we tend to assume from it, but which you may have noticed already aren't actually in the text. Now, first of all, you might think that the phrase lost sheep in this text refers to someone who wandered off of their own accord, someone who makes bad choices. But the thing about sheep is that when one gets lost, it isn't always because that one just kind of wandered off to do a crazy thing. Often what happens is that the flock wanders off. Now what will happen is that a few sheep, usually somewhere near the head of the pack, they will get spooked. Maybe they'll see something they think is a predator or a bush will rustle just so, and they will freak the heck out. And governed by this fear as they are, they'll suddenly start moving in unexpected, maybe even dangerous ways. Of course, you know, group dynamics being what they are, herd mentality being what it is, the sheep around them will start to follow suit. And before you know it, the whole flock is running haphazardly towards the nearest cliff. Now, this is actually a big part of what shepherds do, by the way. They are here to guide the sheep, making it so they don't run off a cliff or something when these odd, erratic moments of fear take over the group mind and compel them to these moments of insanity. So the lead sheep will bolt in fear and the crowd will follow with the shepherd running alongside to make sure that no one dives off a cliff or something. But off in the distance, there's this one sheep who wasn't filled with an irrational fear. One sheep 
who was just trusting in the protection of the shepherd, munching quietly on the grass, and generally being the best sheep it could be. And when the dust settles, this sheep finds that the group, consumed by its fear, has abandoned it completely. You see, our human cultural biases, they want us to make this about that one crazy lost sheep over there. But the truth is, it's just as likely that the flock got lost, while the one sheep got left out by just quietly sheeping along like a good little fluffball. Now, another thing you might be thinking about this passage is that Jesus' highest goal here is to secure the safety, security, and integrity of this group of 100 sheep. All right, now this is, this is an easy position to take, truth be told, because, boy, do we want Jesus to be for everybody. We want Jesus to bring that same level of care and support to everyone equally, regardless of any other uh, intervening factors. But remember the, uh, the, the Gospel of Mark, when he sat at that table in Levi's house, surrounded by tax collectors and other sinners? What, what was it that he said? Oh yeah, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I have come to call not the righteous, but the sinners. Look, this is a tough one for a lot of us to wrestle with, especially those of us who have been seated at the banquet table of American Christianity for a few generations now. But Jesus isn't necessarily here for you, at least not in that way. Consider our parable here. The good shepherd does not at any point in the story see to the safety and security of the 99 sheep. He doesn't go off and find another to keep watch with them. He doesn't rustle up a couple of sheepdogs or navigate them safely down to a nice, comfortable, grassy plain so no one falls down and gets hurt. No, that's not what happens. Jesus straight up leaves them on a mountain. Remember what I said earlier about how sometimes unattended flocks of sheep can just kind of go nuts? Forget about predators who, you know, I might add, live in the mountains. There is a non-zero chance of that flock just getting freaked out and running over a cliff. So if you take nothing else away from this sermon today, I hope that you'll take at least this one point. Jesus had absolutely no qualm about abandoning the nice, comfortable, conforming, great white flock to go join up with that single rebellious sheep. Of course, you may be thinking, this makes perfect sense, because Jesus prioritized the lost, which is why he went out and grabbed them and brought them right back into the safety and security of the nice, conforming flock. But I want to invite you to take a look at that passage again. You can go ahead and read it, pop it open on your computer, or you know what? You can just skip the video right back to where we played it earlier. Go ahead. Button's down here. I'll wait. Did you take a look? Did you see it? Did you notice the part? Did you notice it? Where Jesus brought the sheep back into the flock, returned it to the welcome embrace of the institutional conformity, and everyone was happy? No? You didn't catch that part? <laughs> I hope you didn't catch it, because it doesn't actually happen anywhere. 
in this text. At no point does Jesus even suggest in this parable that the point of the exercise is for the lost sheep to return to the flock. Jesus does not come to the sheep to correct it or to say that its choice of lifestyle or grass selection or general attitude are somehow wrong. Jesus never lectures the sheep about how going astray was a terrible life choice that it should absolutely feel ashamed about. And at no point does our good shepherd pick the sheep up and return it to the flock. Nope. Quite the opposite, in fact. Jesus finds that sheep and rejoices over it. Over and above the joy that he has in that boring massive caucasity that he left sitting precariously on the mountainside. He sees that one lost sheep puttering away and doing its sheeply thing, content to just be awesome at sheeping. And he is completely overjoyed. He finds this one fuzzball and is overwhelmed with happiness at how it is just maximum sheep. And that's it. There's no reunification, no forcing of the lost sheep to change its wayward ways and to come on over to the much more crowded mountaintop over here. No lectures on the benefits of being just like everyone else, just happiness from the Lord at how awesome this unique and wonderful sheep is. And if you might be thinking that this seems out of character for Jesus, if you were expecting him to have more care about fitting in, if we're expecting him to be more concerned with making sure that everyone behaves in a certain way if they're meant to be part of Team Jesus, let me remind you of something. Now, Jesus of Nazareth, he was a great many things. He was the son of a carpenter. He was actually really named Josh, if you didn't know that. Oh, he was a real fan of women named Mary. He was a world-class cheater when it came to games of hide-and-seek, at least after Easter anyway. But you know what Jesus definitely was not? He was most certainly not a conformist. Jesus was all about turning our ideas about community and piety completely on their heads. Most, if not all, of his parables and teachings were exactly about this. The Beatitudes for example, were basically his BuzzFeed list of the top 10 things that ought to be different in the world. Jesus was vividly anti-authority, anti-imperialist, and a stolid opponent of following the leadership of unjust, blind groups of people who are just trying to fit in under other people, justifying their power by dictating who does and does not belong. So I guess... I guess that's the message that I found for you in, in the scripture today. If you have been pushed out by your church community, if you've been told that you don't belong, if you've been told that you're not righteous or good or pure enough to belong in the presence of the Almighty, then guess what? You're in good company. Because Jesus felt the same way. Jesus rejoices in those of us who are different. Jesus celebrates those of us who are outside the group. Jesus leaves the great white masses sitting on the mountaintop somewhere so he can come celebrate with the lost, the forgotten, and every beloved child of God who these 
imperfect, and insane churches have thrown out into the cold. Remember, you are the beloved sheep, favored and chosen of the Most High. God formed you and made you, shaped you with divine purpose and intentionality to be precisely who and what you are. And those who said you weren't good enough, that great white mass of sheep sitting over on the other mountaintop who told you that you didn't belong, who moved off in a different way because they were governed by fear and insecurity. Those would-be church folk who said that you were not meant to be loved for who God made you to be, you know what they can do? They can flock right off. So if you're still watching all the way to the end of today's video, I want to thank you for, for keeping up with us. I really appreciate you sticking with us. Uh, if you haven't gotten sick of me telling you this by now, these sermons aren't a one-off thing. They're an expression of our community of uh, fellowship and love, which is, I have to admit, a little bit different from other communities you may be familiar with. The Unfinished Community here is an online community where we gather together in an online space, uh, usually through what's called a Discord server, which is a place where we are exchanging messages in discussion and conversation with each other in a semi-public space all day, every day. You can get at this on your computer, you can get at it through an app on your phone, and that is how we are always together in community, even though members of this community are scattered all around the world. Uh, I, for example, am in the city of Kobe, Japan right now, but there are other members of our community in the United States, in Michigan, in New Jersey. Uh, we've seen people who popped in from places in Europe or anywhere else in the world that you can pick up a phone or a computer and get online, you can be part of our community. So if you're looking for a community, or even if you're just looking for a fun place to talk with some people about some of the weirdness of God and the world and how God has touched your life in confusing ways and all the wonderful imperfections of your own human journey with God, I want you to invite you to come join us. We'd love to have you. In the meantime, there are a bunch of things that we're still doing uh, during the week as well. On Saturdays, uh, 10.30 p.m. Japan time, that's also 9.30 a.m. Eastern time in the U.S., we have a get-together for a weekly check-in. I'd love it if you could join us for that. Uh, whoever you are, whatever you are, whatever you're doing, I want to know how you're doing. We all would love to talk to you and hear from you. So pop on to the Discord server and you can join us for that at that time. And it would be a pleasure to see you and to hear from you and to know what your life is like today. We also have, on Thursdays, usually, barring any technical difficulties, our Psalms from the Trail series, which is where I go out to some trail somewhere here in Kobe, because, boy, we got a lot of ancient and old trails and hiking paths and abandoned ruins and old castles and stuff. And I find a spot out there, and I read through the Psalms. I think we're up to 13 now? 12 or 13 of kind of lost track a little bit. I have it written down somewhere. But we're making our way through. So I hope you'll join us for that. That comes out on our Facebook as well. In the meantime, I want you to know, no matter who you are, no matter what you're going through, no matter what you may have done in your life, no matter what you might be thinking, that you are in my prayers 
and that I'm thinking about you. And the most importantly, God loves you too. Take care.